my, my thought is come to the university, discover knowledge, and then, then be convinced of the truth in a deeper way, not be confused. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, I know that as you travel across the country and on occasion are here in your office, you have <laughs> you have occasion to talk to a lot of different people. I do. I get to meet all sorts of people. And I also sometimes receive things in the mail from people that I don't know if I've actually met them or not, but they wanted to send me something. Great. And that's how we got in touch with today's guest. Okay. And so today we have on our podcast... Dr. David Wilkes. He is a English professor. Yes, at Mount Vernon Nazarene University in Ohio. Which is, you know, I, I have to tell you, Dave, and he's asked us to call him Dave. Okay, Dave. <laughs> it's hard to, for me to call you Dave. Can I just say that? <laughs> it, it's a little intimidating knowing that we have a professor of English listening in on our podcast and uh, as our guest. Of course, wondering if he's going to correct our grammar or <laughs> <laughs> he he might be the type of guy to give us a, a slight insight on our worldview before oh, right. he'd fix our grammar. Oh, okay, right. I, I think right. he's he's probably an understanding right. English. But you know, people write to me, Julie, and they'll write something like, It makes me really nervous to write to you. I always write back and say, it makes me nervous to be me, you know, (laughs) and sign my name, you know, director excellence in writing. Well, the best time to catch typos, of course, is right after you sent the email. Oh, my goodness. That's that's the the big Murphy's Law. So, David, Dave, we'll call you Dave. Yes. Hi. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We have lots and lots of homeschool parents and school teachers and other various interested people. We even get uh, students Mm -hmm. listening to our podcast, high school, college students. And uh, you've been teaching for quite a while, uh, English at the university there. And I just thought you could share with us a little bit about what is it like to teach English in a university in America today And maybe how's that changed over the course of your tenure there? Well, first, Andrew, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure to uh, to hear you lecture as well at some of the homeschool conventions. And um, yeah, no, I know I had to laugh when you mentioned the grammar story. Um, my dad, one time <laughs> we were talking on the phone, he said, you know, um, I'm not going to write you any letters. I said, why? He goes, well, you're going to grade them and send them back, <laughs> you know, and I was just flabbergasted because, you know, that... That's not how God wants us to use our education, right? <laughs> I mean, um, especially uh, when it comes to story. As, as you mentioned, I've, I've been teaching at the university for, oh man, I hate to say it, 22 years now. I had I had initially told the Lord, I will not teach in Christian higher ed. <laughs> so um, yeah, right. So long story short, I have come to love 
uh, the interaction that I have with students because um, they are the men and women of the next generation. They're the ones who will use their critical writing skills, their critical thinking skills uh, to make a difference. And the, um, the text that I like to focus on, it comes out of Acts 17, where um, briefly Paul goes to Athens and he's there and he goes to the synagogue, the marketplace, and the Areopagus. The Areopagus is the forum for discussion. And so, right, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and so we're to be salt and light in all of those places. And what better to consider issues and acquire tools, so to be a good critical thinker and a good critical writer, than to, uh, than to study up, right? In my case, it just happens to be um, at the university. I teach a variety of courses, and um, they range from college writing to introduction to lit to one of my favorite courses, which is uh, poetics and theory. The, the college writing is fun because, um, as you know, um, being a teacher yourself, right? To, to watch a student's mind open up and uh, to begin to understand, oh, right, that's right. Thesis is claim plus reasons. You know, we can, uh, we can unpack this and take a look at issues and, and come to um, biblical conclusions, perhaps. Um, intro to Lit, I do genre. And so we look at short stories and poems and, and things like that. And um, students have a chance to uh, explore literary texts, but they also uh, come to understand that God loves story. And for me, I like to go to John 1, 1, where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So, right, there's this really cool connection between divinity and language. And so um, Jesus tells a lot of stories and those stories help to shape the way we grow forward. And so it's really important for us to figure out, okay, how do we write properly and clearly? How do we uh, analyze something so as to make critical sense out of it? And then finally, and then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be quiet. You know how teachers are, right? I'm going on and on. The, um, the, uh, the, I love poetics in theory, and here's why. I'm able to take my students through postmodern worldviews, um, things like Marxism, feminism, and, and whatnot, and to, to approach those subjects from a Christian point of view. And, um, and so we unpack these worldviews, and um, I think students have a better understanding of what the model is and what the model isn't. And then they're able to draw conclusions. Um, some things are not compatible with the Christian life. And so um, as we acquire our tools and look at these theories, I think some really interesting th things happen. First and foremost, the knowledge leads to compassion. I think sometimes when we don't understand stuff, it's kind of scary. Uh, but when we when we do understand, it's like, okay, I know what this is. And right, uh, like Paul uh, there in Athens, it's like, okay, there's your unknown God. I'm going to tell you now what this means. And so um, it's really fun to watch them um, come alive and, and be empowered, right? To go out and be salt and light in the marketplace, the synagogue, and the Areopagus. So you originally said you didn't want to be in Christian higher education, and now you're teaching in a way that is probably only possible in Christian higher education. It would be, I think, a hard sell at a secular university to be talking about the things you're talking about 
Is that true? Oh, Andrew, that is so spot on, and right because it's in some ways by God's grace, I have the blessing of both worlds because we talk about things that are pertinent to the field of literary studies, but I get to do that unabashedly as a believer. And so, you know, each each class we start with a little devotion. I try to connect the scripture right to the to the lesson for the day. I have taught in other settings where, um, you know, I. I Quite frankly, I had to look over my shoulder. <laughs> Although this greatest one, right? Whenever I would do heroes in masterpieces of literature, I would do like Odysseus, and then I would do, you know, Beowulf, and then I'd always do Jesus, right, as the classic hero. <laughs> and then so, so, so there we'd be, right, talking about, well, why is Jesus a hero? Well, let me tell you, right. And so I figured if I ever got in trouble, I would just say, you know, it's an epic hero. So, yeah, yeah, oh, nice. Well, there is a, a surprising awareness among academics, particularly in the area of literature and languages, that a knowledge, a, a just a general knowledge of the Bible is just essential to being able to really read most of the great books. Yes. And, and I think, right, back in the day, biblical literacy was just considered a part of being educated. And so yes. a person may not understand that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, but but they could put, you know, um, Adam and Eve, Abraham, David, and Paul, they could put them in the right chronological order, right? I'm not I'm not so sure that biblical literacy, just for the sake of knowledge, is um, still around. I think it's been yeah. sort of... Comparing your students of approximately 20 years ago and those coming to you today, would you say that in general, are they about the same in terms of their preparedness, aptitude, interest, or are any of those areas higher or lower? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because I, I think students have become, there's such a proliferation of information that instead of knowing a fair amount about a limited subject, they know fewer things about more things. And so the net effect, I think, is to produce a student who needs more help. It, it, it certainly seemed like when I first got here, uh, students were fairly autonomous. But now I find that uh, students have not only academic needs, but they have other uh, extracurricular needs in the sense that um, even at our school, right, which is a Christian university, we... Um, we find that students come with with brokenness. They come from difficult situations, and so they're trying to balance their academics with their relational issues. And the other thing too, right, Andrew and Julie, is that um, I, I love the fact that students, when they get to um, to the university, they have been trained by their parents. Their parents love them. They've given them parameters. They've told them the truth, but in a fair amount of cases, they are having to own their faith for the first time. And so um, I just feel like if they're in my class, I want them to be stronger in their faith at the end of the term, not weaker. Um, and sometimes I wonder if at, um, at other places, right, where Christ is not the center, uh, that the task is to create confusion rather than clarity. And so my thought is, okay, learn your story, learn your terms, become a proficient and strong critical writer, and be be a, be a, a deeper person as a believer uh, at the end of things. I have a friend uh, who's fairly well known uh, in the homeschool world. He teaches English at the University of Wisconsin. His name is Duke Pesta. 
And uh, he told me flat out, he said, oh, my colleagues at the university here, they love to get Christian kids in their class because their plan is to destroy their faith. Yes, and, uh, yes. And uh, that just such a saddening thought. And yet, I, I, you know, I said, Duke, really, seriously? He goes, no, absolutely. That is the agenda. Yeah, and, and, and I wonder, not to cast aspersions, but sometimes the assumption is go to university and have all of these vistas open up and you decide. And my, my thought is come to the university, discover knowledge, and then, then be convinced of the truth in a deeper way, not be confused. You know, one of the things we've talked about recently in a course is this, this movement, right, from, from um, knowledge connected to truth and how it leads to wisdom, right? From scientia to veritas leading to sapientia. And so that whole thing wrapped together with the Holy Spirit, right? Starts with the fear of the Lord and it produces the kind of salt and light that makes us effective in the marketplace, the synagogue and the Areopagus. I think sometimes in secular universities, they're more concerned with just knowledge. But if, if you don't have the full compo- uh, equation, it's problematic. I think of John uh, 8, 31 and 32, right? You know my commandments. You are my disciples. Now you know the truth. That sets you free. For me, that's the full equation, whereas oftentimes education will just give the last two. Know the truth, be set free. But it's, but it's contingent, I would argue, on the first two pieces, right? Knowing God's commandments I, and being his disciple. I think a lot of young people, even raised in Christian homes, have been very seduced by the inverse of that, not know the truth and it will set you free, but uh, make your own truth so you can do whatever you want to. Yes. Uh, Do you find that that coming face-to-face with the problem of that is difficult for the young people you meet and coach? Yeah, um, there are several sort of manifestations of that. Sometimes they come with this kind of sentiment. They right, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And so the the change I would make is God settled it. I've studied it and wrestled with it and prayed about it and talked about it. Now I believe it, right? So now I have a, a life path to follow. And so that kind of ownership makes the whole process of education more organic. It's more um, developmental rather than just memorizing, you know, that's kind of the running joke, right? I mean, if you're a med student, not only do you know the information, but you know there's a coffee stain on page six, right? And and education <laughs> has to be more than that, right? It's got to be, um, it's got to be, it's got to be knowledge on the ground. Yeah. How about the writing of your students? Uh, would you say they are today coming into your classes with about the same writing ability, aptitude, experience as they were 20 years ago, or is it better, or is it worse, or different in some way? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one, too, because they, um, the, sometimes there's a confusion between critical writing and uh, creative writing. And um, I found, too, I think students were more capable of writing thesis statements before, and so um, as they come to me now, uh, we work with, with the, the, you know, the backbone of good critical uh, persuasion, which is to have that, um, that thesis 
And uh, the model I borrow is from Stephen Toulman, and so it's it's claim plus reason. So uh, Jesus is Lord is just a claim, right? It's an opinion. It's not an argument. Jesus is Lord because one, two, three. Now we have an argument which we can back up with good, strong secondary academic evidence. Now we've got a full package uh, that we could hand to someone, and it I, I think it's. Um, it takes some persuading to get students to say, oh, right, <laughs> it's not just an opinion. I have to have valid logical reasons to go with it. And then I have to have evidence, right, that, um, that is substantive. Um, sometimes I use the, the example of the lawyer in the courtroom, you know, your honor, I'm going to prove that my client is innocent, you know, for this and this and this reason. And this is the testimony of ex experts that I'll bring to bear on my case. They seem to get that, right? Maybe it's enough TV drama or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. So you uh, have had some experience uh, grading, marking, scoring, I guess, some of these uh, tests that are given that include essays. Is that right? Yes, I have. I've, I've worked um, for ETS, which is the educational company that does the AP, the advanced placement exams. And um, mm -hmm. yes, I think I've done it now for seven years. Okay. So, uh, and then have you done the, uh, the ACT or SAT essays? I haven't done those. No, I haven't done any of those. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting, just the history Um Around the year 2000, I don't remember exactly which year, the Carnegie Institute came out with this kind of overarching study that the writing skills of high school graduates was in decline. Uh, this combined with the empirical reports of professors who, around the time you started teaching, had been teaching for 20 or 30 years, uh, that yes, indeed, the writing skills of high school students have been in decline. And it was 2005 that the SAT got its essay. So required this was by all students. required. Yeah, this was an effort of the College Board, I guess, to put pressure on high schools to teach writing better. Um, that lasted for about 10 years where they had an essay essentially have an opinion about this and argue for it. The only problem was they didn't give the students any information. So kids were making an argument and fabricating information because the graders were told, don't grade on the uh, accuracy of information, just on the writing. So it kind of got out of hand, and uh, the head writing guy at MIT was very vocally opposed to this. So in 2015, the SAT and then shortly after the ACT, they changed their test to be more of a analysis piece. So they give the kids an article and say, uh, explain how this author makes this argument, which seems to me a little closer perhaps to what uh, you would see in the English AP exam. Is, what is that whole English uh, literature AP exam about? If, if some of our listeners thought, well, I might want to do that, um, what would you advise them where where to get started? And I think a lot of people are kind of afraid of the term AP mm -hmm. uh, just because it sounds hard. Sounds like Andrew Poudoir. <clears throat> sounds like something you wouldn't have wanted to do yourself in high school. <laughs> but I think other parents are a little worried because 
you know, the college board has has kind of engineered tests and certainly some of the states and some of the other testing agencies have been moving the tests in this kind of post-modern, post-human idea in a very, very subtle way. Um, so what would a, you know, a family that wanted a good, solid preparation for an English or literature AP, what would you advise for them? Well, you're right there. I think there has been a shift. And um, as a reader, there have been times where a list of books is given and the student will respond with a film or a cartoon. <laughs> and so a part of the, a part of the quandary is, well, how do you, how do you grade that? And a part of the answer is, well, um, you know, there's, you, you try to give points where you can. Um, but if you go back to how uh, I would prep, uh, one of the things I would do is is get a list of canonical books, just the books that you know, the good old books that um, have been read for a while, uh, because they are of merit, and um, each book sort of matched to its to its reader's level. And then to to read those, I've I've read one site where the recommendation was just know four to five books well. Uh, and have those be uh, have some thematic range, different kinds of books, right? Um, it, what would be if if someone heard you say that and said, "Okay, give me the five books." What what should I have my <clears throat> sharp high school kid read in the next year or two and know well? What would be your short list? I'm going to predict your answer, Dave. It's going to be something related to your doctoral dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess it might have something to do with Jane Austen, but let's hear what he says. All right, it won't, yeah, it won't be exclusively Charles Dickens, but um, but but the the books that, that you know, we we love story, we love writing because it, it it's entertaining. It, it speaks to the human condition. So uh, something like Jane Eyre or Wuthering Heights or Great Expectations or even Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, you know, these, these books are considered canonical. So they are read at universities all around the world, probably. And so um, to know that kind of book and then to be able to use it, the, the details of that plot, setting, theme, character, point of view, and symbol... Um, to use those to address the prompt. Um, the essays are graded, uh, right, and, and graded according to level. And without giving full disclosure, the, 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 the essays that just cover the basics um, do okay. The ones that make thematic connections do even better. And the ones that make several thematic connections using some of the prominent symbols and then are written well, um, they do extremely well. So um, one thing I would do is just get my primary texts in a row and, you know, yes, I've read Huck Finn, you know, and uh, that sort of thing. And then next I would be, I would be making lists. I do that with my students as they prep up for exams, I say, you know, get the basics, the, the nuts and bolts. Uh, for example, E.M. Forrester in um, Aspects of the Novel talks about round and flat characters. So, okay, don't memorize every character in the book, but, you know, which are the round ones, the complex ones that, that are interesting and we like to follow? Um, do a brief plot sketch, right? If there's a handful of key uh, symbols, well, then go ahead and list them out. And so then these things... Uh, become the tools that you use in order to respond 
uh, to the prompt. The practice tests can be helpful as well. There is There, there are things that can be acquired online uh, that would help just to work with things. And we, um, Andrew, right, we, we homeschooled our two boys. And uh, thank you, Lord, rode the wave. It worked out really well. Homeschoolers sometimes have difficulty with time frames. <laughs> so uh, pra- I would practice uh, taking the test in the specific time frame, mm. right? Because we're more concerned about, you know, know the information. Don't be, you know, tyrannized by the clock. And yet, fact of the matter is, uh, these tests are run from minute to minute. And so it would be good to, to practice that, right? Um, the, finally, I would just remember uh, that, you know, we, we do our best and um, Jesus is Lord, not the test. And so, right, I mean, we want to do well, but uh, to keep it in perspective, I see some students who, who are so nervous um, that it's counterproductive and um, I would just keep perspective. I had a question I wanted to ask you and this question originated from a conversation that a uh, college student, she was probably a freshman or sophomore, she was young, she had been homeschooled, and now she's in college. She didn't know me, she didn't know what we do at IEW, but she came up to me at a conference and looked at, you know, excellence in writing. Okay, I'll talk to this guy. And she said, I want to be a very good writer. I, I may want to, you know, do it professionally or go and try to get a MFA in, in composition, and uh, I, I really want to get as good as I can get. So uh, what do you recommend? She asked me this question, and uh, I thought for a minute. I said, well, I guess if I had that desire, which I'm not sure I actually do, but <laughs> you if, have if I a book or two. <laughs> have that desire, I would take my favorite writer – and I would try to study what makes that writer sound like that writer, what makes that writer good. And then I would try to write something, you know, a story or an essay or something that would imitate that style. And, and I would do that again and again until I really felt like I could write in the style of that writer. Then I would go to another writer that I respect or like, and I would try again to write a story or essay in the style of that writer and do that again and again until I thought, okay, I can kind of sound like that writer. And, and you, I would... You teach that a little bit. We do. Yeah, mm-hmm. we do. But And I would try to do that with like my 10 favorite writers. And it might take quite a while, but having done it, I think that would make me then a better writer myself. Well, this girl was stunned by this answer. I mean, she just, she, she looked at me open-mouthed in in shock. And she said, well, that is exactly the opposite of what they always tell me in my classes in college, which is never imitate anyone. Mm. And I thought, I think there's a great disparity between my way of thinking and other people's attitude about imitation. Do you have any experience or opinion on the value of imitation in writing? Oh, uh, first of all, that would be rigorous, and um, I would—that's th- a great idea. And here's why: Matthew Arnold, in the Function of Criticism, once said that we should study the best that's known in thought. And I think it's really important that we understand what has come before, 
And uh, the imitation of a style then allows us to know where the parameters are so that we can be original. You know, one of the, one of the things that always makes me cringe, and I, I never show it though, right? Because that would be bad form, says Captain Hook. All your students are listening, Dave. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like, yikes. Right, a student will come with a poem and I'll say, you know, something along the lines that you've mentioned. You know, uh, so what are you reading? Oh, nothing. Uh, what, you know, what? who's influenced you? Well, you know, uh, some band I've never heard of. And then, um, and and I say, well, okay, I'll read it. And and, and it's, it's really tantamount to just being um, a, a bit of a... Uh, just a, an emotional expression. There's no form, there's no rhyme, there's no reason. And um, I think it is so important that we understand what has come before. Um, and the same is true about critical writing, right? And whenever a person does research, they're figuring out where all the boundaries are so that they can then critically explore just beyond that and now contribute to the overall body of knowledge. I, I, would, I would argue that the same is true for creative writing. That um, that reading and writing always go hand in hand, and it it is a labor of love. It does take time. Uh, I teach the the novel, and one of the forms is the Kunstella Roman, which is the novel of artistic development, right? And so it starts in juvenilia and it moves to maturation, and that you just can't, you know, it's like trying to grow up with the, all the phases in between. You you have to go from phase to phase to phase as as a person develops. So. That could be another discussion, which is uh, kind of the perpetuation of adolescence and the problem of growing up in today's culture. But we are going to run out of time very shortly, and I wanted to uh, mention briefly the book you sent me. Uh, it's called My Critical Eye, A Homeschooler's Guide to Literary Studies. And uh, you say on the cover here, recommended for 11th and 12th grades. And I opened it up, and, and there was a table of contents, okay. And then I turned the page, and you put right there one of my most favorite quotes, uh, and that is C.S. Lewis, who said, if you don't read good books, you will read bad ones. If you don't go on thinking rationally, you will think irrationally. If you reject aesthetic satisfactions, you will fall into sensual satisfactions. Mm. And uh, I think that th that is such a core message that young people today don't get. Mm -hmm. They don't get the idea that if you don't do good things, you'll do not good things. Mm -hmm. um, what? Uh, just give us a little bit uh, of overview. What is this book you've created and is it available now? Are you uh, hoping to, to publish it or, or self-publish? Or uh, if people were interested in learning more about your approach to teaching literature, uh, what should they do? Well, thank you again. Uh, I really appreciate your feedback as well. And um, the book really was born out of my desire to um, speak into the homeschool community because um, there are so many excellent things going on. And parents, you know, homeschooling is not for the timid. Um, f folks who homeschool uh, should all get medals. And um, right. So I thought literary studies uh, is something that is near and dear to my heart. And yet um, trying to find a book that was uh, accessible and didn't overdrive the language, but still dealt with, uh, with the, um, with literary studies, right? I just, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could just contribute what I know based on my experience. So it starts with worldview. And I, I tell you, Andrew, it's so important that people understand the concept of worldview, 
because if we assume that everybody has a faith-based assumption about life, then even the atheist is a believer. He takes on faith that there is no God. That's a belief, just as Hebrews 11 speaks to faith being the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For us in Christ, right, the cornerstone uh, is Jesus. So, so if that's the base of my worldview, then what I believe is going to shape the way I read. And so we have to become accomplished readers so we're not relegated to the margin or told by the world that, well, we can't participate because our faith you know, has created narrowness. On the contrary, right? Uh, our faith makes us rigorous. We're able to write with confidence and to read text in such a way as to be um, uh, effective to be in the mix, not to be sidelined. So what I've tried to do is I start with a worldview chapter uh, and I explain that. And then we move into a, a genre study, which is really based on the introduction to literature course that I teach at the university. And so it's a mixture of vocabulary, critical analysis, and it's always brought back to uh, Christian worldview uh, because that way we're able to process any story that we come across. And that story might be a novel, it might be a film. It could be, if we went uh, right to a different uh, context, it could be a relationship. It could be uh, anything that contains story content. So our perspective opens and we become more effective in Christ rather than shrinking because uh, we just don't feel confident uh, handling things. And so, um, David, I love listening to you. Uh, I love listening to you. And Here's an idea. You could pull a Jordan Peterson and start recording all your lectures and put them on YouTube, and that would be superb. Uh, you must be a fascinating teacher to have. And if I were a kid and had nothing better to do in my life, I might just move to Ohio so I could <laughs> sit in your classes for a while. Uh, but uh, do you have any plans for... Uh, expanding beyond just the book here, like maybe supplementing it with a series of lectures or something that would um, make it even more accessible to the homeschool teenagers? That's very kind, Andrew. I uh, Yeah, I, I would love to. I just, my, my heart, you know, is burdened with the desire to to equip believers in the body of Christ to to, to boldly go, right, to read with their shields up, to go ahead and process, to have informed opinions based on some of the basic parameters of literary studies. And so uh, it's just very exciting to me to think that, yeah, just think of the Lord moving people into all areas, whether it's literary or not, right, and and being able to render a, a critical analysis of something. So I'm, I'm in the process of trying to, um, I have self-published the book, so um, I would be willing to to work with someone if they had an interest. Yeah. Do you I have am, a website? I, I, I do. I, it probably would just be my, well, actually a website for that. I, I don't, Andrew. That's, I know, probably shame on me, but. Um. <laughs> well, you know, if, if people are interested in reading your book, they've got to find a way to get it. Well, they could contact me at, at my MVNU address if they wished, right? At, which is dwilks at mvnu.edu. And I'd love to start a conversation and see how I could help. Um, I know it's, like you said earlier, it's, it's, it can be kind of intimidating. You think, ooh, you know, writing literary studies, yikes. Um, but, but I'm convinced that God loves stories. 
And Jesus yes. doesn't drop into systematic theology in the New Testament. He tells stories. And, and we all can kind of resonate with the truth of what he says. Um, and that's the part I want people to latch on to. That's, that's the exciting part. Awesome. Well, I, I, we've, we went through our time. It flew by, of course, because we're having fun. And uh, I do hope that I will get a chance to bump into you. I don't know if you're going to frequent any homeschool conferences or not. Hopefully, uh, we will someday meet or at least talk again. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us and uh, bless our listeners with a little more perspective on your teaching literature from the distinctly Christian view to the college student of today. Thank you for having me, really. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking. <laughs>